Hello and welcome to another episode. We're diving into more facts that aren't true. Today we're rounding out the final three untrue facts about the human body. Let's get started. The American Breakfast There's no logic regarding what counts as breakfast food and what doesn't. The idea that one kind of food is better to begin your day with than others is nonsense. While some coffee may objectively help you stay awake for that morning commute, nutrition is nutrition. If you want chicken parmesan for breakfast and cereal for dinner, I say go for it. There's also no evidence that eating breakfast jumpstarts your metabolism and prevents weight gain. There are many traditional breakfast foods, but bacon and eggs is perhaps the quintessential American cooked breakfast dish. Would you believe me if I told you we only think this because a marketing scheme invented this concept? It's depressing how effective marketing is. Rational choice theory tells us that individuals use rational calculations to make decisions in the free market that maximize their own personal objectives. This would probably be true in a world where advertising didn't exist, and the only information about a product was what it actually does. But clever marketing people have known for over a hundred years that you can make people believe something purely by manipulation. Politicians know it too, which is why they almost never answer direct questions or argue over facts, but instead try to hijack your emotions. The originator of this strategy was Edward Bernays. Bernays was the nephew of Sigmund Freud and is considered the father of public relations. He once devised a pro-smoking campaign for American tobacco to get women to smoke. First, Bernays created ads with thin models smoking their brand of cigarettes. Next, Bernays created an advertisement stating that women in the 1929 Easter Parade on Fifth Avenue in New York would light up, quote, torches of freedom to symbolize their liberation and public freedom. It worked perfectly. He's also the reason we ate bacon and eggs for breakfast. In the 1920s, the Beechnut Packing Company had difficulty selling bacon. They hired Bernays to come up with a campaign to sell more. Bernays asked a physician if a light or hearty breakfast was better to start your day off. The doctor said, in his opinion, that a hearty breakfast was preferable to energize the body. Bernays then had this physician write to 5,000 doctors asking if they would agree, and 4,500 wrote back saying yes. This study was printed in newspapers all across America, and bacon sales improved dramatically. Bernays also played a role in overthrowing the government of Guatemala. In 1954, under pressure from a politically powerful food company, the CIA organized a movement that saw Guatemala's democratically elected president, Jacobo Arbenz, overthrown in a coup d'etat. Arbenz assumed the presidency in 1951. A pivotal driver behind the coup was Arbenz's agrarian reform policy, which aimed to redistribute uncultivated land to the poor. Unfortunately, this policy collided with the interests of the United Fruit Company. This United States-based corporation possessed extensive uncultivated lands in Guatemala and held substantial influence in Central America. UFC wielded considerable power in DC. 
Arbenz's government, with its progressive reforms and a few Communist Party members, was inaccurately perceived as a communist threat in the Western Hemisphere. This misperception was largely propelled by UFC's lobbying efforts, painting Arbenz as a Soviet puppet, despite lacking any evidence that linked his government to a broader communist conspiracy. The mastermind behind all those lies? Bernays. From all this, Operation PB Success was conceived. The operation, approved by President Dwight Eisenhower, entailed training and arming a group of insurgents led by Carlos Castillos Armas, who were tasked with initiating a rebellion against Arbenz. Alongside the military intervention, a substantial psychological warfare campaign sought to destabilize the Guatemalan government and its army, sowing seeds of discord and fear. In June 1954, amidst the intensifying conflict and with minimal options at his disposal, Arbenz resigned. His resignation did not bring about the tranquility and democracy that the U.S. purportedly sought. Instead, it plunged Guatemala into a prolonged and tumultuous period, facilitating a series of authoritarian governments and igniting a civil war that lasted from 1960 to 1996. Blood is blue in our veins. The reason this factoid is so persistent is twofold. One reason is diagrams almost always illustrate veins to be blue. This is only done to distinguish them from arteries. However, there is an exception in both cases. The pulmonary arteries carry oxygen-poor blood to the lungs, usually illustrated blue or purple. The pulmonary veins carry oxygen-rich blood to the heart, and they are usually illustrated as red. The other reason this false belief is widespread is that our veins really do look blue. The reason veins appear blue is due to the way different wavelengths of visible light travel into our skin. White light is a combination of all the colors of the rainbow, each with its own wavelength and energy. Red light is scattered and absorbed differently than blue light. The effect is more blue light reflects off of our veins than red light, making them appear blue. If you've ever put a flashlight under your hand to see your veins, you've probably noticed that they look black or dark red. This is because the light is passing through your flesh, which effectively becomes a red filter for the light. When you shine red light on an object that absorbs red light, it will look black. In a way, black is just extremely dim white light. Most digital screens don't make black by turning the pixels off, they just dim the RBG pixels. I tell you all this because it helps answer why nightclubs use blue light. Because veins appear blue, shining blue light on our bodies makes the veins almost disappear as the surrounding tissue reflects the same light veins normally do under white light. This is done to prevent IV drug usage. Does blood change color though? Yes, oxygen poor blood is dark red whereas oxygen-rich blood is bright red. Hunters know this. Many animals can run hundreds of yards after being shot. Finding a blood trail is a useful way to track your prey. If you see bright red blood, you likely hit a lung, and your prey probably isn't far away. The reason our blood is red is because mammalian blood carries oxygen using hemoglobin, which contains iron. Horseshoe crabs have blue blood, because oxygen-carrying molecules in their bodies use copper. It's called hemocyanin. 
Their blood is also incredibly effective at killing toxic bacteria and is harvested for medical research. Spiders, other crustaceans, some mollusks, octopuses, and squid also have blue blood. Many species of worm have green blood that carry oxygen using chlorocruorin, which actually contains iron but still appears green. Other worms, as well as some mollusks, have purple blood colored by a protein called hemirethrin, which also contains iron. Some Antarctic fish have colorless blood due to the loss of iron from their hemoglobin. Insects, meanwhile, don't have blood. Nutrients and hormones are circulated through their bodies by a fluid called hemolymph. Insects absorb oxygen through tiny pores found all over their bodies. Most DNA is junk. After the human genome was sequenced, we discovered humans have approximately 20,000 genes. Many people think that DNA is nothing but genetic information, but this isn't true. A gene is a unit of heredity that is transferred from parent to offspring and determines some characteristic of the offspring. Most genes contain information required for our cells to build proteins, which have a huge range of functions. But very little of our DNA sequence is protein coding information. Our DNA is made of individual molecules called nucleotides linked together. These are the letters of DNA, A, T, G, and C. To form the structure of DNA, those nucleotides also bond across the middle, forming the familiar twisted ladder-like structure you've seen in textbooks. A nucleotide bonded to another across the middle is called a base pair. The human genome, a genome is the entire sequence of DNA in an organism, has roughly 3.2 billion base pairs. Only around 1 to 1.5% of those base pairs contain protein coding information. What is the rest of that information? At first, its function was a mystery. The theory of evolution would predict that some redundant DNA would accumulate, but this seems excessive. Many were quick to dismiss most of the genome as junk DNA that serves no purpose, and the idea spread like wildfire. To be sure, some parts of our DNA are redundant or have no function. For example, humans have the gene for making vitamin C, but it has mutated to the point where it no longer functions. We also have over a thousand genes related to olfactory, which is smell, but only around 40% of them are functional. While most of our DNA does not form genes, that does not mean it has no function. Many functional regions of DNA serve various purposes. Genes are embedded within larger sequences of DNA that must be trimmed. A sequence of DNA containing a gene will be converted into RNA, but most of it will be removed. The remaining pieces are spliced together and used to form proteins. The removed portions are known as introns, while the RNA portions that go on to guide protein synthesis are called exons. Introns outnumber exons by over a factor of 15 in humans, but they are not without some function. Once an exon is used, it must be silenced, since it has served its purpose. Some introns contribute to this exon silencing. DNA also contains sequences called promoters and enhancers. Promoters are found adjacent to genes and act a bit like airport runway lights, guiding the cellular machinery to the targeted gene. Enhancers can be found in various locations throughout the genome. 
Enhancers increase the rate of production for their respective genes. DNA organizes itself into chromosomes during cell division. Chromosomes have regions in their middle called centromeres. Centromeres are composed of repetitive base pair sequences with proteins called histones attached in high concentration. The centromere is the region of the chromosome where cellular components attach to split the chromosomes to ensure each cell gets its share of the duplicated DNA. Some DNA is lost from the ends of chromosomes during cell division. To protect our DNA, the ends of chromosomes contain repetitive segments called telomeres. These repeating segments act like a crumple zone in a car. It gets destroyed, but it's supposed to in order to protect the important parts. Telomeres also have protein structures that ensure the end of one chromosome does not attach to another. Research has shown that vast swatches of inactive DNA bind itself to the nucleus's inner membrane. This helps make the DNA organized and prevents it from entangling with itself. All this demonstrates that much of the non-genetic portion of DNA still has essential functions. However, significant portions of the genome may have little or no function. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50% of human DNA is composed of transposable elements. Sometimes referred to as jumping genes, these aren't protein coding regions, but DNA segments that can relocate to different places in the genome. Transposable elements range from 100 to 10,000 base pairs in length. Some functions have been connected directly to transposable elements, but we are clueless about much of what it does. Some scientists think that the reshuffling of DNA allows for increases in genetic variation that help drive evolutionary change, but definitive supporting evidence is currently lacking. In the end, we can't yet say what percentage of our DNA has no function or what we could live without. Scientists did take a species of bacteria once and deleted more than half its genome, and the bacteria continued functioning. To what degree this would be possible for a human is unknown, and ethically, it should not be tested, except perhaps with donor cells in a petri dish that cannot feel pain. The field of genetics is one of the fastest changing areas of science. Years from now, I think much of the mystery regions of DNA will be revealed to have some function. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.